All right, if you turn with me in your Bibles today, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. Ephesians 1, 16, if you're turning with me. If not, it'll be up on the screen behind me. Today, I just want to spend a few minutes and talk to you about God. Isn't that a good subject? Good one there. For That's the easy one for kids' space or Sunday school. It's always a good answer is Jesus or God. I want to talk for a few minutes about God. Like, who is he? What's he like? Like, if somebody asked you, so, so you're a Jesus follower, you're a Christian, you love God, what is God like? Who is God? What are the characteristics of God? Like, what's he like? And do you, would your answers, like if someone asked you that, what is God like? Would your answers be because that's what you know to be true of God? Or is it because someone's told you that about God? Or that's things you've heard? Or things that, why do you think what you think about God? In John 14, 9, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was telling the disciples, like, hey, you guys are walking around with me and living with me. You've seen me, you've seen God. If you look at me, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I would argue that you must see him as a father or you will never truly see yourself as a son or a daughter. And I think that was huge when Jesus came to the earth and started telling the disciples and that was the first time anybody saw God as father. Jesus said, we can pray to him, our father which art in heaven. That would have been crazy when he said that to the disciples. So... If you don't learn to see God as a father, then you'll never really see yourself as a son or a daughter. It's more of a slave mentality or more of a, there's all different ways you could see yourself, but we are his sons and daughters, but we must see him as a father. Scripture tells us that we have been grafted into the family, that we're no longer orphans. Paul said that the spirit of truth comes into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, or I have a daddy. Like the Holy Spirit comes into your heart when you realize what Jesus did for you and is crying, I have a daddy, I have a daddy, Abba, Father, he's my dad. That's who he is. It's like the Holy Spirit's a cheerleader telling us, he's a father, he's a father, I have a dad, I have a dad. And if you have a dad, that means you are a son or a daughter. See, so if you realize who God really is, then it helps you with your own identity. You realize, the more you realize who He really is, the more it helps you realize who you really are and who you were created to be as a son or a daughter of God. What you think about God affects what you think about yourself and the other relationships in your life. I heard about this lady that said that she had gotten divorced recently and someone asked her well you know why did why did you get divorced and she said it was religious reasons and they were like I'm, I'm not trying to pry but that's just weird I hadn't heard of anybody that actually got divorced over religious reasons what what were the religious reason, reasons and she said oh my ex thought he was God and I didn't ha <laughs> ha 
let's look at Ephesians. Read Ephesians 1, 16. Ephesians 1, verse 16. This is Paul writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So Paul said, Paul's telling the church at Ephesus here, I'm praying for you all the time. Uh, constantly, I'm, I, when, I'm, when I'm in prayer, I'm thanking God for you, and I'm praying for you all the time. And here's what I'm praying. So he's, he tells the church at Ephesus, and Paul does this in several other places, but he tells people, this is what I'm praying for you. And so when Paul says, this is what I'm praying for you, it's not that like, hey, guys, church at Ephesus, I know y'all are a big church, and y'all are going to be a huge church, and you know, my son in the faith, Timothy, is going to come pastor y'all. So I'm praying that y'all hit the lottery. Like, that's not what, what Paul was praying for him. Now, I'm praying that your dog will quit pooping on the carpet. And I'm praying that your wife will quit being crazy. I'm praying that. All, Paul didn't say any of that. What Paul said was, I'm praying that you would have more God. A greater revelation of who he is. Like that was Paul's prayer when he was praying for people. And we see it again in another place. But Paul was praying that they would have a greater revelation of God. In Philippians 3.10, Paul said that I may know him. Like this is my deepest desire, my deepest cry, that I may know him and, and the power of his resurrection. I think we can all agree that we need to know him. Right? Like if I ask you and you're here at church and you're, you'd probably agree like, hey, do you need to know God? You'd probably say, yeah, I need to know God. Do you want to know God better than you know him right now? Well, of course, we'd probably all say yes. You want to strengthen your relationship with God? Of course I do. Okay, how do you get to know someone? Like think about your natural relationships with other humans. How do you get to know somebody? What's the best way to get to know somebody? Or, I mean, there's different ways. You can find out things about them. Right? Like I can find out different things and get different information about them, and that will help me know them. But that can only take me so far. I can ask certain people that know them. Like if I wanted to get to know, let's see, if I wanted to get to know RJ... I mean, I could ask certain people to tell me something about RJ. Like, Rebecca, tell me something about RJ. Just one thing. RJ is from Ohio. It's a good piece of information. It explains why he says some words weird. Right? Like, there are a few things, like, that's good to know. It explains, like, he's... It explains why he's a Browns fan. That's a hard one to explain. All right, so that, that's a great piece of information, right? Does that help me know RJ? Sure. Anybody else have something they could tell me about RJ? Somebody else that maybe knows him. You got one thing you could tell me about him. He likes cutting grass. 
<laughs> okay, so he cuts a lot of grass. He's, what'd you say? He's kind. Good ball player. Okay, so I'm collecting all this information in this wanting to get to know RJ, and now I'm sitting here thinking, sounds like a pretty good guy. He's a good ball player. He cuts a lot of grass. He's kind. There's only a few negatives. He's a Browns fan. Like, <laughs> there's not that many. There, so, can I get to know RJ better like that? Yeah, I, I feel like that's a way that you can get to know someone and you can collect information about them, but it only takes you so far. I mean, RJ aren't going to become best friends by me just asking other people about RJ and me collecting all this knowledge. Because there are other people that I know things about. Uh, anybody know who Trey Young is? Plays point guard for the Hawks. Guess what? I know his name. I know he's 6'1". I know he went to college at Oklahoma and he was really good. I know he's 23 years old. Well, guess what? I, these are things that I know about him, but he doesn't know who I am. If I saw him in Walmart and went up to him and said, what's up, buddy? He's probably going to say, who are you? I ain't seen you in forever. That would be a true statement. Well, actually, I have seen him, but he's never, he doesn't know who I am. So with our relationship with God, at some point, it can't just be gathering information from other people and what they know about God. Your relationship as a healthy Christian should not only be from what you've heard from Pastor Dusty. Because I'm going to tell you truth. Like the things that people just told you about RJ, they were true. And so I'm going to stand up here and tell you truth every week, hopefully, about God. Everything I tell you, I, I know to be true. But it's supposed to be more than that. Like you should get to know God on your own if you want to really have a good relationship with Him. You can't just rely on what someone else has told you. Your grandma, your grandpa, your preacher... Like, God wants to have a relationship with you. God doesn't have grandkids. You know, like, we're all his sons and daughters. You don't have to go through someone else. He doesn't just want you to know about him. He wants you to have a relationship with him. And that's why Paul was praying that, that you would have a greater revelation of the knowledge of God. That, that you would get to know God. That's my prayer for you. Because then you can handle whatever comes. If you want a relationship, a real relationship, you need to spend time with someone. Like if I went and spent some time with RJ, we played ball in a tournament together, I'd get to know him way better than asking you guys to tell me things about him. Right, if we went on a weekend fishing trip, I'd get to know him a lot better than just sitting here asking y'all questions of what popped in your mind about him. But if I ask you, like if I asked RJ something about himself, RJ, what's your name? RJ, now guess what? I would be foolish to argue that because he just told me that about himself. What's your favorite restaurant? tough one brown dog okay 
Now, if I tried to argue that with him, it's kind of a waste of time because he just told that to me about himself. If Titus told me that about him, I could sit there and argue it. No, no, no. I know he really likes McDonald's better. And we could sit here and argue it all day long and I could be convinced. But if I've heard something from him about him, I can just believe that and move on. That's what he told me about himself. If I come up and ask you your name or what's your favorite, Wayne, what's your favorite food? Steak. Now, there'd be no need for me to argue that. There'd be no, I could just say, I agree with you, brother. Amen. We got something in common. Right? But there would be no need for me to dispute that or argue that. Why? Because Wayne told me that about himself. It, it's not just a guess. So what I want to do for the next few minutes in the message is I want to look at a place in Scripture where God tells us about himself. God describes himself. So we're going to look at four different things that God said, this is what I am, this is who I am. These are some of my characteristics, this is me. So if you learn these things about God and you know that's your Father, that's your God, and there's no need to argue it. And if somebody does come up to you and argue it against any of these four things that we're about to look at, you wouldn't even need to waste your time. Like no one could convince you of that because God said it about himself. The same thing if somebody came up to me right after church and said, you know what, Wayne's favorite food's not steak. Wayne's favorite food is homemade peach ice cream. And I'd be like, well, Wayne said it was steak, so I'm going to believe Wayne because he was talking about himself. Same thing. When somebody comes up to you after church, uh, if somebody comes up saying that one of these things I'm about to tell you is not true about God, it'd be real easy for you to just say, I'm not arguing with you about that because God said it about himself. All right, so let's look at Exodus 34, verse 5. Exodus 34, verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him, with Moses, and he proclaimed his name. So who is he? The Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So this is what God said about himself. This, we're going to look at four things that God said about himself. So you don't have to waste time arguing or wondering, are these things true? I wonder if this is true about God. The first one, he's compassionate. And we see it bear witness all throughout Scripture. And in the person of Jesus, we see it the most. God is compassionate. Remember what compassion is? It's sympathy like you feel bad. Is sympathy with action. That's compassion. It's to look at someone hurting or broken or a dying world and to have compassion, to feel bad enough to then put action with it and do something about it to help a situation. Our God is compassionate. He's moved. He's touched with our hurts and our pains and the things that we've walked through. He was so moved 
by seeing us dead in our sin that he sent his son. You know how when, like, say you're at a restaurant or you're out in public and somebody's kid is just screaming their lungs out and being so disruptive and crying and hollering and yelling, and you're like, oh, gosh, please don't let them get seated at the table next to us. Because this little kid's just being a brat and screaming their lungs out. I'm going to go ahead and confess something to y'all that when I see a kid screaming or freaking out, back before I had kids, I would think I didn't have a whole lot of compassion. I would just be like, man, they should parent better. They should learn how to discipline that child. It's not that hard. And then something happened that changed the way I thought. You know what that was? Had kids. Exactly. What happened? That made me realize that sometimes kids just freak out and scream, and it don't matter. You can be parenting them really well, and sometimes they just dump over a drink and scream. Sometimes they just pull their brother's hair. It doesn't matter. That doesn't mean they got a bad parent. Gave me more compassion. Why? Because now I've walked in those shoes and I realize, hey, sometimes you you can try and you can parent well and you can do, but sometimes your kid's just going to do something and you're like, man, there's nothing you can do about it. You do the best you can. But it gave me more compassion it's hard to understand what someone is going through until you go through it so don't be real quick to judge somebody that's going through something or dealing with something if you've never been through it it's real easy to just judge it and say well I ought to just done this but if you've never been there you never walked down that road you never felt what they're going through you've never had all, then you don't 100% know So don't be so quick to judge. Our God is full of compassion. See, all of the ancient gods, they had things that you could know about them. You could learn about them. You could know all this information. But they were far away. You couldn't know them. I love John 1, 14. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, the word. The words, like the knowledge that we learn about God, He became flesh, Jesus, and then He dwelt among us. Our God came and lived as one of us so that He would know what it felt like. He was tempted in all manner. And everything that we're tempted with, He was tempted with. He came and became one of us so that He would know what it feels like. Jesus knows what it's like. And that's how God has compassion for us. Remember the story of the prodigal son? And, and the son's picture of the one that ran away and wasted all the money and did all the stuff. And, and this great picture of the father that ran to meet his son. And if you go read that, it's in, it's in Luke 15. I know you know the story. But it says that when the father saw him, he was a long way off. And that it says the father was filled with compassion. For his son. A couple different translations word it different, but they all say that he was he was filled with compassion or he was full of compassion for his son. Even though his son just really blew it, wasted everything, like spent all this time. So that's let's move on. First one. He's compassionate. The second one is God is gracious or full of grace. That's our God. 
He's gracious. He's, he's full of grace. And there's this internal sense of justice or judgment. We were created in His image, so it's inside of us. And maybe you realize it, maybe you don't. But, like, let me ask you a question. After church, if somebody else in here walks up and open-handed just slaps you in the face as hard as they can, raise your hand if you're going to hit them back. Y'all are lying. There's a bunch of bunch of people in here aren't raising their hand, but I'm pretty sure you would. <laughs> I don't know. what I, I don't know if I would hit them back or not. Um, what if uh, my little baby niece, Emberly, was sitting right here in the carrier, and you see somebody in here walk up and just open-handed slap her in the face? Will you do something about that? I hope so. Like, I would, I would think you would because there's something inside of you that says there's this justice inside of you that says that is wrong. I don't care who you are. I don't care what the reason for that was. There's, there's no way that that's right. I'm going to do something about it. We all have this sense of justice inside of us. You're not going to just sit there and say, well, who am I to judge? Maybe that baby looked mean. No. Like if that's your, your comment towards that or your thought towards that, you maybe have some problems you need to work through or need to be checked on. There are certain things like if somebody molests a child, we can probably all agree that's wrong. That there's no way that that's right and there, like something needs to be done. It's this sense of there needs to be justice for that. That's not okay. And there are certain things that we can all agree on, I would think. Why is that? It's because we have an internal sense of justice. We're created in God's image. And it's this sense that when something wrong is done, someone must pay. You know, that's how God felt about sin. Sin is like a slap in the face of a holy God. When we mess up, when we make mistakes, when we do wrong, and the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that every single one of us have messed up. Like We all did wrong, and that was a slap in the face of God that created us and gave us everything, and He created a world for us to live on and gave us all these blessings, and then what do we do? spit in his face we slapped him in the face and so justice says somebody's got to pay and scripture says so Christ was offered and so the price was paid Jesus said if I be lifted up I'll draw all men unto me every man every woman that was ever born I'll take all their sins and all their pain and, and put it on me and I'll take the punishment for all of it And so that enables our God to be gracious. Jesus was the personification of grace. He was grace in person. That's who our God is. Our God is gracious. The third one, God said this about himself, remember? He's slow to anger. God is slow to anger. Maybe you're not sometimes. 
you probably know some people that aren't slow to anger. Oh, well, I'm slow to anger. Yeah, but you probably got some triggers that make you fast to anger. Now, there's probably some things that trigger you and make you angry or just irritate the fire out of you. For some of you, you hit traffic and there's that's your your trigger that makes you quick to anger. For some of you, it might be your spouse or that cat. Right? But there's probably something that that gets you. Or what about when the neighbor's dog tears up trash all over your yard? And you got to get out there and pick it up with the maggots. You get a little angry, irritated. Here's a question for you. You know how, as a child, like we've all probably had parents or a parent, you know how eventually you can so effortlessly aggravate your parent or make them mad or you know exactly what buttons to push. Like all three of my boys can just aggravate the fire out of Jesse. Easy. Quick. They could... Sky was doing it yesterday, like thinking it's funny. And I don't know where they learned that aggravating is funny. I don't know where they got that or where they would think, like doing something to annoy your mom is not funny. So I, I don't know where they got that, but they need to be spanked. <laughs> but you know how, like after spending time with someone, you can make your parents like, angry you can trigger them or aggravate them or annoy them but Jesse wasn't even like that before you were around Sky Titus Malachi if you see God as angry if you see God as an abusive father if you see God as someone that you can make angry or mad by something you think or say or do or if you see God like that well if I say the wrong thing or if I push his buttons or if I trigger him he might uh, he's gonna abuse me or hurt me or then you got the wrong idea of God God is slow to anger you don't make a mistake and God gets mad Tells you to get away from me. No, God says, I am slow to anger. See, if you see God as angry or abusive, then you don't really know Him. You've got a skewed vision of our Father. In 2 Peter 3, um, Peter tells us that God is patient. That God's got patience with us. God's not angry. God's not disappointed with you. God loves you. God knew you were going to mess up. And he paid the price for your mistakes already. You're his kids. Fourth one. He's abounding in love. So, raise your hand if you have kids. Or at least a kid. Any? Okay. All right, put your hands back down. 
Raise your hand if you love your kids. Hopefully all the same hands went back up. <laughs> if there wasn't, a, if all the same hands, y'all can put your hands back down. I mean, I would assume, I hope, I mean, from looking around, I didn't see any other ones that didn't. But all your hands went back up. Is that because of the performance of your child? Like, is that because they earned your love and they, they did exactly what you wanted them to do and everything that you said, they did it and they pleased you and they passed enough tests to where now you love them? Absolutely not. Every one of your kids have probably made some mistakes. They probably disappointed you. They probably aggravated you. They probably let you down. They probably have pitched fits or cried or they all pooped in their diapers. I know that. Right? They're probably all done things, but yet you still love them? Of course you do. And I do too. Because you're a parent. So if God is our Father and He is abounding with love and He calls us His sons and daughters, then that means He loves you not because of what you've done, not because of what you can do. He loves you because of who you are. He loves you because you're His kids. Not because of a performance. You know, parents love to hear their children laugh. And I was reading this, this study on it to where it brings parents joy, mothers and fathers, to hear children laugh, to hear their own children laugh, and then other kids laugh. Like people love to hear babies laugh, a good belly laugh. And that's why a lot of times people will go up to a little baby and Make all kinds of dumb noises. and They say your IQ lowers 30 points when you're trying to make a baby laugh. <laughs> Anything you think that will make the... Boo! Ah, like how you talk to a baby, you make yourself look so dumb. Look at that. Imagine like if you went in and like... And we all do it. I do it to every time I'm around... Emberly, our little baby, because she laughs so cute, and this big smile come across her face, and so you just act dumb. You talk dumb. Hey, look at that pretty little girl. Boo! Imagine if you went into work and talked to your boss like that. Boo! Look at those chubby little legs. Your boss ain't going to appreciate that. Right, they're probably not going to laugh. <laughs> I, I wouldn't think, if so... A weird boss, employee relationship you got going on there. You may want to seek some guidance. Uh, your IQ lowers 30 points uh, when you talk to a baby or try to make a baby laugh. Parents love to hear their children laugh. People love to hear a baby laugh. If God looks at us, looks at us as kids, He loves us to have joy. He loves to hear us laugh, to, to be happy. He's abounding in love, just like a father to his children. His love is crazy. His love, love is reckless. It's not earned. You don't deserve it. It's about who you are, not what you've done. So if somebody says to you, who is God? What is God like? He's abounding in love. He's, 
He's slow to anger. My, my God, He's gracious. God is compassionate. If you change your perspective, you can change your actions. And if you change what you think, you can change how you act. I heard a story about um, this couple that was on an airplane, and they had two little kids. And so they got like a, a row of four on the airplane, and they had the two kids who were supposed to sit in the seats in the middle of them. And their kids were just arguing back and forth and fighting over something dumb. And the dad was telling the story that their kids were just screaming, and he's trying to calm them down and keep them quiet because everybody else in the airplane doesn't want to hear y'all arguing. And he said the man at the seat in front of him turned around and said, Hey, are those y'all's two kids? And he was like, ah, I didn't even want to say yes, they're my kids. I'm like, no, I don't know whose kids those are sitting in between me and my wife. And he said, yeah, they're our kids. And then the guy in front of him said, man, we would do anything to have two kids. And so then he was like, I felt like, oh, gosh, I thought they were being mean because my kids were being crazy so I said oh I'm so sorry you guys not have kids and then the man in front of him said yeah we actually have six kids I would do anything to have just two <laughs> you didn't see that coming did you <laughs> your, my point is your perspective changes things it changes the whole situation back and forth good thing bad thing oh you know, there are hundreds of names and characteristics of God found in the Old Testament, and they're all wrapped up into one name, Scripture tells us. The name that is above every other name, the Prince of Peace, the Giver of Life, the Rose of Sharon, the Bright and Morning Star. It's all wrapped up into the name of Jesus. To the person, those were all glimpses trying to get us to see who God really is, trying to show God's people all throughout the Old Testament. And it was all wrapped up into the man of Jesus. The man, the God, Jesus, so that we could look at his life and catch glimpses of who he is. Remember when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And they were like, well, some say you're Elias, and some say you're a prophet. And some say, and Jesus said, no, no. <laughs> Who do you say that I am? Because it doesn't matter who everybody else says I am. Jesus was trying to get the point across like, what matters is, who am I to you? Who do you say that I am? Who, who do you think that I am? It doesn't matter who everybody else thinks. What, what do you think? Jesus was asking the disciples. You know, if you go Google Jesus, there's like 800 and... I think it was like 892 things pop up that'll tell you who Jesus is. If you weed those out, there's a couple hundred of them are like Jesus's and stuff, but the rest of them are talking about like Jesus, the Jewish man that came and lived, and some say he was God, and some articles say he wasn't, and but they've all got a different opinion. You know, Jesus appeared on the cover of Time magazine 20 times. It's kind of weird. Like, they don't even have a real, like, picture of him. But everybody's got an opinion on who he is. But what really matters 
is who is he to you because that's going to affect the way you live who he is to you is going to affect how you give who he is to you is going to affect the way you parent the way you love the way that's what affects things it's not what everybody else thinks there's a thousand opinions of who jesus is but god wants you to get to know him and invest in that relationship so that you know who he is because it affects how you think about yourself and the world around you and the people around you and that's what really matters who is he is he first can i see him if i look at your life if i look at your marriage would i see god so remember the the marriage is supposed to be a picture of christ and the church that union and that relationship so would i see him like what if i looked at your your checkbook or your venmo or your bank account would i would i see god anywhere in there like do you do any good with it would i see him in your life because love gives time and talent and treasures and love has compassion and helps others god so loved the world that he gave do you know if you're invested in something that you care more yeah i'm talking about money like if you give your money to something then you're invested more but in anything like if you're invested in it then you actually care about it and maybe you've not like thought about that but i mean say there's a meaningless football game that you don't care about it's not your team you don't care like say the jaguars are playing the jets you don't care about that. But if you made a bet on that football game and you got $100 riding on it, all of a sudden you care about that football game. All of a sudden your whole family is going to have to sit down and watch this meaningless game that none of them care about because that's what you got playing on the TV in the living room because now, why? You're invested. You invested in it and so it made you interested in it. You know, there's people that never look at stocks. They don't care about the stock market if it's up or down or crashes or whatever. But you know what makes them interested in it? When they buy some stocks. Why? Now they're invested. So they're wanting to go check it all the time and get an app on my phone so I can go check those stocks and see if they're going up or down or if it's time to buy or sell. Or You don't care about that if you're not invested. Who cares? And so what I'm saying is if we'll take the time to invest, then we care more. What good is a relationship if you don't invest in that relationship? How good would my marriage be if I didn't invest? Not good. It would probably end eventually if one of us quit investing, quit putting in time, quit giving to each other, quit loving each other, quit... You invest, and then what? It makes you care. Why? Because you're invested. In, um, <coughs> I'm trying to hurry this up and wrap it up, so I won't even read it to you. But in Exodus 34, back where we started, but I was going to read you the first verses that we didn't read, but I'll just tell it to you real fast what happens. It's when, remember Moses went on top of Mount Sinai, 
And God made these tablets of stone. And God wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger on the tablets of stone. And he hands them to Moses. And Moses is like, yeah, it's a miracle. God did the supernatural. And Moses comes down the mountain and he's just pumped and excited because he just saw God. And God wrote with his finger the Ten Commandments. And he comes down the hill and all his people are like, dancing around having a wild party around a golden calf where they melted down all the jewelry that they took out of Egypt and they made a golden calf and turned it into their God and started worshiping it and they're doing some other crazy wild things down there and Moses comes down like what in the world I just had a meeting on top of the mountain with the the living God and y'all dummies are down here melting down gold and building idols and dancing around it So Moses got so angry. We know Moses had an anger problem. He got so angry that he took those tablets from God and he slams them on the ground and broke them in pieces. He broke all ten commandments at one time. He's the worst guy to ever live. Uh, So a lot of people don't know what happened next. And that's what I was going to read you. You can go, go check me on it if you don't believe me. But here's what happened. God said, hey, Moses, I'm going to replace those tablets But this time, I want you to get a chisel and a hammer or a rock or whatever you can find, and you're going to chisel out some new tablets yourself. How long is that going to take? Don't care. Chisel them out just like the ones that I made you to start with. And so go read it. Moses chiseled out some new tablets. They didn't have many power tools back then, so you know how long that would have taken? to chisel out these big tablets just like whatever God had given him before. And then Moses goes back up on the mountain and God writes the Ten Commandments again. And guess what? They never got broken again. They were carried around for hundreds of years with the children of Israel and carried in the Ark of the Covenant and they never got broke again. Why? Because now Moses was invested. Now Moses put some sweat, blood, and tears into it. He had some skin in the game. He stepped up and did his part, and so now he cared even more. He didn't let his quickness to anger, his feelings or his emotions cause him to throw away something that God was trying to do. See, now Moses was invested. The tablets went into the ark and were never broken again. He did it. We broke it. Then he let us help fix it. Oh, that kind of reminds me of Adam. And then Jesus had to come help us fix it. Like a good father, he wants us to invest. He wants us to obey. Why? So that we'll care, that we'll be invested. We'll be a part. He wants us to do the natural And then he steps in and does the supernatural. That's how it works. That's how God's promises are activated. We step in with obedience. We do the natural not because God needs it. God doesn't need me to do something so that he can do something. It's for me. It's for the people that I help. Like, And then God steps in and does the miracle. God does the supernatural. Look at this verse. Um... Proverbs, Proverbs 19, one verse here, verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor, that's natural, like I feel sorry for a poor person. I have pity on the poor. Lendeth unto the Lord, 
Well, that's a spiritual thing. Wait, so if I, in the natural, I have pity on a poor person, and I help that poor person, but now all of a sudden, I'm lending to the Lord. A spiritual thing. Something I can't see. And that which he hath given, will he pay him again? What? So God will give me something back in the natural. So we're switching back and forth. Natural, spiritual, natural. This verse blurs the line between the natural and the spiritual. You see, we are natural humans serving and becoming more and more like a spiritual God and Father. Like spiritual beings to look more and more like, like our dad. But we're natural, living here on earth, and, but we're becoming more and more spiritual. We see this in baptism. Right? Like we do the natural. We go down to water and get dunked under the water as a sign of something that's happened in the spirit. The old is dead and buried in the grave. And as you come up, it's a symbol of that, that new life, a natural thing, but it's a symbol of something spiritual. Remember when Jesus said to the disciples, If you speak to this mountain, so speak, that's a natural thing. I'm speaking right now. We all speak. It's a natural thing. To this mountain, it's a natural thing. It's a part of nature. It's just out here. It's a mountain. If you speak to this mountain and say, Be thou removed and cast into the sea. Jesus said, It will be if you have faith. The faith of a mustard seed. So all of a sudden, natural, natural becomes spiritual and impossible miracle. So where's the line? Where does it cross over from natural and obedience to spiritual and supernatural and something crazy happens that can't be explained? Like, where's the line? When does it cross over and become something spiritual? Like, How do you have enough faith to do a couple of natural things like speak some words and then watch a mountain be plucked up and cast into the sea? Like, where's the line? Where is the crossing over? I see it in tithing and in giving like I work. That's a natural thing. I can go work a job. Doesn't matter where. I go work. I make money. Then I do another natural thing. I take of that money and I give it and let it go and I release it. Right? But then God promises in His Word that He will open up the windows of heaven on my behalf. And I've seen it over and over again that when I give and then God works something out or God blesses my life or God does something and then I'm like, these natural steps that He told me to take become spiritual because the windows of heaven open up. I see it in worship. I don't always feel it. And I'll come in here and I'll, I'll do some natural thing like lift my hand. There's nothing spiritual about me lifting my hand right now. I'll come in here and clap my hands or I'll lift my hand or i do the natural things that I know work. And at some point, he... He grabs me and He whispers in my ear, Every single time. And the natural becomes supernatural. 
and my steps, when they can't go any further, he steps in. And he does the next thing. I'm getting off my notes. I'm trying to wrap this up. So where's the line? I don't know. I don't know where that line is or where it crosses over. We talked about a couple weeks ago that Jesus did that same miracle. Remember um, the miracle of when he called Peter and James and John to come follow him. And they had been fishing all night and they didn't catch any fish. And Jesus shows up and, and Jesus said, cast your net on the other side. And they didn't want to. And remember that miracle. And then their nets were full. And then... I preached a couple weeks ago about how Jesus came back and did the same miracle that's recorded in John 21 after the cross. And Jesus showed up and they didn't know it was him. And Jesus said, cast your net on the other side. And they did it. And the nets were full. And this week as I was reading through my Bible, I caught something that I never, never caught. And I've preached those stories and those passages multiple times. I got multiple notes. Two weeks ago, I preached about it. But I never noticed this. And I won't read you the whole story. I just want to read you the one verse from that first miracle and one verse from that second miracle. And check this out. This is really good, and this will be it. It's in Luke 5, verse 6. After Jesus told them to cast on the other side, they did. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. I remember their net started breaking and they called James and John and they filled both of the boats until the boats were sinking now look when Jesus does the same miracle in John 21 look what happened here in John 21 verse 11 Simon Peter went up and he drew the net to the land full of great fishes 153 and for all there were so many yet was not the net broken First time around, the net broke. We just read it in Luke. He let us know the net broke. When God did the supernatural, when God did the miracle, the net broke. But the second time around, the net didn't break. Peter pulled them all the way up on the shore with 153 fish in it, and the net wasn't broken. It was still good. The net was fine, and, and the only thing that happened in between there was the same miracle, the they would have been using the same kind of net, right? The only thing that happened in between there was they spent three years with Jesus. They spent three years getting to know Him and learning how to build their faith and learning to be strong. And then when the miracle hit, they didn't see the brokenness that they used to see. When God stepped in and did the supernatural, there weren't things to fix. Afterwards, there weren't still things that they had to walk through and see, oh, well, there's still a lot of brokenness. God did a miracle. Thank God He did a miracle because I don't know what we would have done, but there's still a lot of stuff that needs to be fixed and repaired now. But after the cross, when Jesus came back and after these guys had spent three years with Jesus and they had been strengthened in their faith, guess what? This time the nets didn't break. After working with Jesus for three years, after spending time with him and getting to know him and learning to believe and trust, the net was a natural thing. 
And when the spiritual or the miracle hit, the net broke. But after spending time with Jesus, the net did not break. You know, upstairs in my office, I got an acoustic guitar hanging up there, and I'll, I'll grab my guitar often. And I'll just sit down at my desk and start playing it. It's just a natural thing. It's almost like a habit. Like I don't even study for a message where I've not picked up that guitar at least one or a couple times during my studying for the message if I need to clear my head or rethink. And I sit down and start doing a natural thing, playing my guitar, and I'll start to sing from my heart. And every single time, he sings back. And, and I don't know when it switched. I never know when it switches over from me just singing and then all of a sudden I feel his spirit, his presence. I have a spiritual encounter. I've been doing that since I was a teenager. And every time I do, it builds my faith. And sometimes when I get done with that, I quite often I, I need to feel like I need to go apologize to somebody about something. A lot of times that's Jesse. And, and sometimes when I get done with that, I, I feel like I need to forgive somebody. And sometimes when I get done with that, I feel like I need to give something to somebody. Go be generous. Find somebody to help or send someone an encouraging text. And, and sometimes when I get done with that, it's just about worship. It was just to worship Him. But it always builds my faith. And I've noticed that after spending time with Jesus, that nets, tools, natural things, everyday things like the net, that used to break, they don't break anymore. I can handle way more than I used to could. Things that used to break me, they can't break me anymore. And you don't, I don't know when it happens. I don't know, but you can look back and see over time, My faith is strengthened and the things around you even begin to change so what do we do we do the natural and then we wait on him to step in and do the super I don't know when it happens but I know the more I see the more I do and the more I do the more he comes through and when I see him for who he is I love him and I want to invest in our relationship. I want to invest more time. I want to give more. That scripture in Proverbs just said, when I help a poor person, I'm, I'm giving that money to God. When I tithe every week, I'm giving that money to God. I'm releasing it out of my control and giving it to Him. I want to invest in our relationship because He is compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. And he's abounding in love. Overflowing with love. He's a good father. Let's pray. God, thank you. 
Thanks for being a good God and a good dad that loves us. Thank you for meeting us where we are. God, thank you that you'll get us, you'll grab us, grab our attention, strengthen our faith, help us to grow, help us to keep doing the natural and expecting you to come through. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.